You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. It is great. Uh, I was just talking to Michelle Kratzer. Our hearts are full because this auditorium is filled with students. It's filled with our Asbury students. If you are a student, but you are not an Asbury University student, would you be willing to just show your hands, please? Welcome. Hey, I want to just uh, share a couple of things before we get started this morning. First and foremost, can I just, can I just say again uncharted territory. We have made a, a discernment as a leadership team, uh, a conscious decision from the start for this moment for Asbury not to seize what's happening now as a platform for our school, and that's why we have not live streamed. And we have just asked other guests that have come into this facility uh, to honor that discernment again for this present moment. Um, I also just wanted to invite students to come back this evening, in addition to any other time you may come back when we have a service tonight. Uh, I'll be sharing a little bit, but what we want to commit to you, if you are a student and you want to be in Hughes, we will prioritize that and we will find a way to make space for you. Um, So we're not telling other people they can't come in, but we are prioritizing uh, our our students. So I want to share that with you. At the very beginning of Colossians 3, Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What is happening in this space? This is seven days now. This is a week now. 168 hours that Hughes Auditorium and many other spaces have been occupied. What is happening right now? Is it just a a sociological phenomenon? Well, on one level, yeah, it is. We're human. We're people. Uh, There's a certain character to this. But at the same time, on another level, I think that something is happening that is not reducible to sociological phenomena alone. Is there a political agenda to this? No, there isn't. The only political agenda is that Jesus is Lord. The only agenda is that we are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Is this just for us? No, it's not. We come in so that we can go out. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is this exclusive? Is this a ticketed event? No, it's not. Everyone's invited. In fact, Jesus is the kind of Savior that invites people that, if I'm honest, I don't think they should be invited. Jesus is always inviting. But is this simply about being invited? No, it's not that either. 
It's about being called into full life discipleship. It is about, as I've said before, walking through a cross-shaped door because the kingdom of heaven is cruciform in shape. But here's the thing. Remember Christ said, those who lose their life for my sake, they'll find it. Is this the product of a predetermined, well-organized event planning project? Ha! (laughs) No way. We are just trying to shepherd and steward and be as hospitable to the Spirit as we know how in real time. Is this convenient? Definitely not. It's not convenient for you. It's not convenient for our university. It's not convenient for our staff and faculty. Can I just be honest? I had a meeting with some key leaders the other day, and I said, how many of you cannot fulfill your job function because of what's happening on our campus? And several raised their hand. They're redeploying their efforts to facilitate and host this special thing. So it's not convenient. But here's what I will say. We're trying to make space at the table for something very special and unique happening. And can I just say something that that is a bit selfish? If the world is watching, if the world is watching Asbury University, then I am so proud as a member of this community for what they get to see. Because they get to see some of the best people I know who work here. And they get to see some of the best students I know that I am utterly convinced will be change agents in the future for the glory of God. So if the world gets to have a lens to see that, I say amen. Is this sustainable? No. It's not. And it's not meant to be. I've always been compelled by the verse in Matthew 17, the transfiguration, this incredible thing that's happening on the mountain. Right? And Peter says, let's camp out here. And then in verse 9, as they were going back down the mountain. This is not meant to be sustainable. Last but not least, are we thankful? Yes. Unequivocally, unreservedly, I am so thankful that we get to play a small role in hosting something historic. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the men and women that work so hard here that I'm so proud to lock arms with. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. I'm very thankful for students. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. As we prepare to worship, would you continue this week-long spirit of seeking the things that are above and setting our minds on things that are above as we go into worship? Um, God, what can we possibly say? Um, You have opened our hearts to receive your spirit, and we just say thank you. Um, The things of earth have grown strangely dim. And um, we know that we can't snuff out your spirit. We thank you that that's not in our control, either by effort or mistake. 
I just want to pray for um, President Brown and our leadership that have been so wisely stewarding and facilitating this. Um, I mean, we thought COVID was unprecedented. Um, so we just thank you for giving us all of the opposite uh, problems and challenges, God. And we just would like to tell you now that we are accommodating for as long as we should accommodate um, happily. And um, Lord, we ask for safety. Um, your word says that you've hemmed us in behind and before. And so we declare safety in the authority of your name, Lord, um, spiritual safety and emotional safety and physical safety, Lord. Um, and we continually ask for honest and genuine hearts. It's so easy to mention how many hours we've stayed or how far we've driven, um, but just like your word says, um, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And so we just pray that you would give us that mindset, Lord, that if you've been here for 10 minutes or eight days, Lord, you see us just as much. And we thank you for that. Um, we recognize that this is not happening because of Asbury or because of Hughes, but God, it's happening at Asbury and in Hughes. Um, and so I just pray a blessing of protection um, over the stage, over this pulpit, over every seat. We just give you every square inch of every doorway and the floor and the ceiling, Lord. This is your space. And so I just pray that you would second by second cleanse it um, and cleanse us, God, so that we can represent and hold your spirit well um, because it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, and again, I, I just declare in your name that this place is safe, Lord. We've seen recommitment and healing, and we've seen honesty and um, such a lack of pride. Um, Lord, pride and pain are so exhausting, and so we just thank you for relieving us of those, even if it's just, just now beginning. Um, but God, uh, we also know that while we've been safe here, Lord, um, students and communities in and around Michigan State University, Lord, um, have not experienced safety. Um, you've given us all the gift of free will, um, and we see so many abuse that, and so we just repent on behalf um, of those people, and we pray on behalf of our nation, God. And I just pray that right now you would surround um, these victims and their families and their friends and their acquaintances, God. Um, it's so hard to understand, and that's why your peace surpasses understanding. And so we pray that, um, and we, we just pray for further protection, Lord. Um, and we pray for more revival um, and more healing in your name, God, even in the, in the places that we think there's no possible way. Um, and we know that when all this begins to calm down, Lord, your spirit won't be gone. We just want to acknowledge that, God. We're going to carry your spirit into a different environment, but it's the same spirit. Um, and we're going to carry it first into our homes and our friend groups. And we're going to carry it into our churches. And visitors are going to carry it out into their states and, and everywhere they go, God, to the grocery store. I mean, we've, like 
been totally swallowed up by your presence, Lord, and I just ask that it radiates so far. Um, and I just pray that you would keep your spirit moving within us, God, because this is the greatest responsibility that we could ever have. Um, and so we thank you for entrusting us with it. Um, and we thank you that in the moments in the future when we forget what we've seen or heard, um, it doesn't make them not true. I think of, of in the garden when Satan said, did God really say? And Satan's going to ask us, did you really see healing? Did you really see, did you really talk spirit to spirit with God? Did you really see him move? And God, we just say yes. We say yes, we did. And every time he asks, we say yes, we did. And yes, you did. God, we give you the attention. We give you the praise. We give you the awe. And we give you the credit. And it is in your son's name with whom we were crucified and resurrected, Lord. We pray all these things in his precious and holy and perfect name. Amen. She's fighting. She's fighting against the morning. Her love bears grief and her smile is still in mourning her heart and seems broken beyond repair. Her hopes have changed with past pains and anguish and she prays that tomorrow doesn't come. She doesn't trust the sun because she's been burned too many times before. And the people she has trusted seem to hurt her all the more. They've impersonated light and put death on what was pure. So now everything that's bright just reminds her of the morgue and she hates it. She wished she could erase all of the faces that made themselves shine by pointing out her dark places. Now every sunrise she hides as if her place is to run from the sun so that she doesn't disgrace it. They told her that God could never fix what she had broken. That she was just the sum total of all her worst moments. I and mean, she was born a sinner, so that's what she must be. And the heavens have no place for all the sinners like she, so she runs. She runs from the morning. She listens to the serpent as she eats from the tree and gives Adam the day while she walks in the eve. And whenever God calls, she hides and believes, ashamed to be seen. The lie she was told she believes and says, who could ever love this darkness of me? She'll play with suicide like a song on repeat. She could tell you every word and could sing them on key. See her nightmares, they'll go nowhere till they know where they're not welcome. Yet she's been losing sleep. Her spirit's getting weak and we have seven days of peace that we could offer to her need. Because the harvest bears fruit when the laborers intercede. But we don't want to admit that we've been there before. Because exposing someone's lack makes us feel like we have more. But... Showing someone they're poor doesn't automatically make you rich. While blowing out someone's candle doesn't mean that yours is lit. We exist to tell how God's grace has set us free. Not to be Pharisees or condemners of the weak, but that we were saved by grace, not by works over letter. And we were broken too until the cross put us together. See, Christ is the true sun that will rise and shine forever. So he tells her, if you fear that my morning will harm you. Well, I will come to you and be your knight in shining armor. I'll save and wrap you in the arms of my grace. 
I'll step down from the brightness of my glory to the grave because I know that darkness must flee whenever light comes. And it may take your eyes a few moments to adjust and realize that I became the darkness that was and I died so that you would have the brightness of my love. His love rescued us when we did not deserve it. Sacrifice his glory as a king to be a servant and thus should go to show us all the ways that we were purposed. That it is not our greatness but our brokenness he works with. Because it's not until you're broken that he comes to make you perfect. But girl who's tired of fighting against the day. Jesus shed his blood so he could wash your sins away so that when he returns, he'll find a bride without a spot or blemish and heal you of your scars because by his scars you are forgiven. He'll wash you like the dawn on every day that you are given and he will make you perfect on the day that he is finished but until that day comes, trust the beauty he is forming and know that his mercies come new every morning. It is morning. Good morning. Pray that you would never fear tomorrow. Whatever made you hollow, God can use that vacant space to fill with grace. May his light seep through your every scar and every wound. May the things that you've been through be what makes him shine in you. For you are the explicit reason that the sun rose. So you are the underlying glory of the sunrise. Good morning, beautiful. You make morning beautiful. Mercy meets pain just to make his glory viewable. You show that God has grace, strength, mercy to save, and patience to give yet another morning. So, good morning. Beautiful. You. God says you are worth waking up for. We are just so humbled and grateful for the outpouring of God's love in this place. And wherever you are hearing this, the same God that is here is with you, and so we pray for that same outpouring wherever you are. But I want to take a minute just to talk to those 25 and under, whether you're here in this room or you're coming to us. Please hear us. We are making room for you. You are most welcome here. Everyone is welcome here, but we are making room especially for you all who are 25 and under because you all have been the forerunners of this outpouring, and we just want to pour gasoline on it and say yes and amen to what God is doing in this generation. And we know this is a lot. It's overwhelming, sometimes confusing. The Lord's stirring up some things and some of that's just really hard and difficult. And sometimes you just need a space to like be caught. I wanna say, if you're a 25 and under, we're welcoming you into our flock. Come into the fold, we got you when you come here. And we wanna help catch you as you process some of this. And we're creating space, not just in here, but in our new building right across the way, if you go out these doors, it's a brand new building, you can't miss it the Shaw Collaborative Learning Center, we've created a whole auditorium just for you to come and breathe. So there'll be snacks and water, there'll be prayer team there. So if you just need a quiet space or just need a, a place to sit with your own thoughts, we welcome anyone, 25 and under, to that space right over there. It'll be open and then at night it'll be um, open for prayer just for 25 and under. Because we really believe in you and we love you and we are so proud. We are so proud of you. And if you're 25 and under and God has met you in this time, we want to, we want to hear from you. Not just we want to hear from you, we, we need to hear from you. And so if God has done something and we've heard it testified, we want to hear it, your story, and we want to make space for you in our informal, formal programming. So if you have a testimony that you need to testify to, would you come see myself or Greg right over here after this? Because we want to make space for you to hear your voice because the world is watching 
And I'm so thankful they're watching you because Jesus is so bright in you. And people all over the world are finding freedom and healing and love because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. May it be so. Our friend John is coming. (laughs) Sorry, I get excited. Um, And we're just grateful to have our friend John with us today. So would you welcome our friend John? To be honest, I think we're struggling with disruption fatigue. The last few years have been hard. COVID disrupted. Many of you did maybe a senior year online. And then there's political disruption, racial tensions, technological disruption. There's so many disruptions happening in our world today that when a good disruption comes along, sometimes we can be exhausted and miss it. But the thing about God's disruptions is they're always intended to refresh you and to bring life. They're intended to break off the cycles of sin and shame that so often get normalized in our lives. And so I want to talk to you today just for a few minutes about what happens when God's love comes to disrupt us. The first thing that happens is God disrupts judgment. He disrupts judgment with love. Part of the problem of the world we live in is that it makes us pay attention to the wrong things. And so what the world is telling us to look at doesn't look like what God wants us to look at. The way God frames moments and the people God pays attention to are very different than the way the world frames moments and what the world pays attention to. Frederick Beekner says this, talking about how art, when it's framed, makes us pay attention. Art is saying, stop. It helps us to stop by putting a frame around something and making us see it in a way we never would have under normal circumstances of living, as so many of us do, in a sort of automatic pilot, going through the world without really seeing much of anything. In our world today, what our culture stops and frames is the beautiful and the powerful and the famous. But when we read the Gospels, these sacred accounts of God on earth, who does God frame in the Gospels and pay attention to? God pays attention to the other, to the overlooked, to the outcast. Jesus has time to talk to a woman at a well that nobody else thinks is worth their time. Jesus creates space for little children to come and receive blessing when everybody thought it was a waste of kingdom time. Jesus created space for sinners and those far from God to revel in his attention and in his grace. When all the wealthy and religious are putting their gifts in the temple, Jesus doesn't pay attention to Winnie. But a widow comes with the two mites and Jesus stops and does a discipleship lecture with his followers to say that is what the kingdom of heaven sees. God is always framing things differently. Now, that's good news for us. It's good news for me. It's good news for those who feel like we don't quite fit into all the worldly categories that they've put on us. And the church should not be a place 
where the things that the world celebrates are celebrated. It should be a place where those who've been left out of the celebration of the world find grace and hope and beauty in Jesus. Philip Yancey tells this story about going over to Nepal. He's a a pretty famous author on one of his book tours. And his wife uh, was deeply involved in sort of humanitarian aid. And they ended up at the Green Pastures Hospital in Nepal, which was a leprosy rehabilitation center. And he said when they walked in there, uh, they were getting a tour and, you know, perhaps they could make a donation or maybe his wife could get somewhat more involved. And he said that as they were walking into the Green Pastures Hospital, a woman comes out and he said, but she barely looked like a woman. Her hands were bandaged, her body had been ravished by leprosy. There was no nose, but just two holes, and he could see into her skull. Her feet were covered uh, with bandages, and her hands had been destroyed, and she's dragging herself along the ground towards them. And he said, in that moment, I thought, I've never seen a human being so deformed, or in human categories, so ugly. And as we, he said, my instinct was to be repulsed by her. And he said, in all honesty, I felt bad because I thought, here's just another beggar who sees a wealthy person and wants something from them. And he said, my wife, who was much more attuned to God than I was, immediately knelt down in that moment and put her arm around this woman. And he said, it was such a juxtaposition of the beauty of my wife and and the brokenness of what this woman had been through. And he said, but all of a sudden... The woman next to his wife began to sing and to hum, Jesus loves me. Her name was Dahamaya, and the lady running the rehabilitation center said, she's one of our most devoted church members. The physical therapist later told us most of our patients are Hindus, but we have a little Christian chapel here, and Dianama comes every time the doors are open. She's a prayer warrior. She loves to greet and welcome every visitor who comes to Green Pastures. And so no doubt when she was coming out, she was coming to bring you Jesus' welcome. A few months later, he said, I heard that she had died. And then he writes this. Close to my desk, I keep a photo that I snapped just as she was singing to Janet, his wife. Whenever I feel polluted by the beauty-obsessed celebrity culture, I live in a culture in which people pay exorbitant sums of money to get their noses fixed or plump up their breasts or to achieve some impossible ideal of beauty, while every day thousands of people die of AIDS for a lack of treatment and hospitals like Green Pastures scrape by on the crumbs of charity. He says, whenever I get discouraged, I pull out that photo. I see two beautiful women, my wife smiling sweetly, wearing a brightly colored Nepali outfit she had bought the day before, holding in her arms an old crone who would flunk any beauty test ever devised, except the one that matters most. Out of that deformed hollow shell of a body, the light of God's presence shone out. The Holy Spirit had found a home in her. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. So many of us feel exhaustion, so many of us feel pressure to live up to these impossible standards that the world imposes on us. We get to be our own people, make up our own sense of well-being in the world. And here's the truth. It can be exhausting living out of that ought self, the self that everybody tells you you have to be. But then comes the person of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't look for the famous and the beautiful. He looks for you, the one who doesn't quite feel comfortable in the chapel, 
He looks for you, the one that doesn't quite fit into the categories that are celebrated and are loved. Jesus comes along and he disrupts the judgment and framing of the world to create a space for those who do not quite fit in. So some disruptions are good. Jesus disrupts the categories of the world to create a space for us. Second thing that is a good disruption, it's when God disrupts the story of our brokenness and he weaves it together into a story of beauty. And that's ultimately what God is doing. In Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in some sense, what God is doing is showing up wherever things do not look like his kingdom. He's working in it to disrupt it, to change it, and to bring a sense of life. Now, I live in New York, and one of my favorite things to do is to see a jazz show. And uh, I, I don't want to be rude. I love the South, but I want to tell you, you haven't, you haven't lived until you've seen a jazz show in New York City. And one of the premier jazz artists in New York, Wynton Marsalis, who oversees jazz at Lincoln Center, incredible trumpeter, plays with such skill and such precision. Well, one day there is a musician for the Atlantic who goes down to one of the village's best jazz clubs called the Village Vanguard. And uh, he's down there and he's just waiting between sets and there's a little house band playing. Normally people go for the headliners, but he's like, you know what, I'll see whoever's playing. And he comes in and uh, he says to himself, this house band is really good. In fact, this house band is too good. And he said, the person playing the trumpet stepped forward out of the shadows for a moment into the light. And he's sort of lost his breath and he goes, oh my gosh, this is Wynton Marsalis is doing a secret set. And I get to sit in on it and I get to watch it. And he starts playing this ballad with a haunting sort of tune in the room. And it's a song called, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. And everybody is leaned in into this club. It's dark, but the music takes over. It's absolutely incredible. And then as always happens these days, someone's cell phone goes off in the middle of the song. And it was a bad ringtone. And this writer for The Atlantic who was seeing the show just wrote a little note in his pad and he said this, magic ruined. And the audience starts talking to one another and it feels like that sacred moment is gone. But then Winton does something amazing. All of a sudden, he takes his trumpet and he plays the first two notes of that ringtone. And then everyone sort of pays attention. He's at the phone again and then he sort of smiles a little bit. And then he plays it again. And then he plays the whole ringtone on his trumpet and the whole room leans in and starts to clap a little bit. And then he starts to riff on that little cell phone. And then the Atlantic writer said this, he repeated the cell phone tune and began to improvise with variations on the tune. The audience slowly came back to him and in a few minutes he resolved the improvisation without changing keys once or twice. Then he throttled down to a ballad tempo and ended up exactly where he had left off and kept playing, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And the audience gave him a standing ovation. And his response was, this was tremendous. 
So here's the beautiful thing. We live in a world where we feel like we do, we're doing okay. And then sin comes in or something happens in our families or ha- happens in our, one of our relationships. And then the life we want is just disrupted. And for many of us these last few years, here's the story of our lives. Magic has been ruined. And we just think, what's the point of paying attention? What's the point of leaving in? What can I really do in this situation? And yet I want to tell you this, God is the master musician. And he is able to take the discordant notes, the disruptions that you have been through, that make you feel like the song of your life is over. And he can begin to weave those, play those notes, and play a tune, and bring you back to where you're supposed to be, but do it in a way that by the time you get there, it's better than if it had never happened. He can make that disruption work for you. That's why Romans 8 says, we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. I want to say this to you right now. If you feel like you have made a mistake and the story of your life is over, if you feel like you have sinned in such a way that God could never redeem this or use you or your story will be permanently stained, I'm here to tell you, Jesus has a way of weaving what you've been through into a story of redemption. And those places of brokenness and pain may in fact become the most beautiful notes of redemption that this world is waiting to hear. Third thing, Jesus wants to disrupt shame with grace. We live in a world that doesn't talk about sin very often today, do we? Uh, It's not very often someone comes up and says, how are you doing? Would you like the atoning blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to cover your sin? And here's your latte. I mean, it just doesn't come up very often in our world today. And so we don't know how to talk about sin and we don't know how to talk about the effects of sin. One of the things that's so surprising to me when I read the Gospels is how Jesus described sin. The term that Jesus used the most for sinners was lost. Lost. You ever been lost? Remember when Apple Maps came out, some of you were too young. We were like, oh yes, at last, proper GPS. No, no lost. It's a terrible thing when you know there's somewhere you're meant to be, but you can't find it. You remember your, your first day on campus here? And you did the campus orientation, and they're like, no, you'll figure it out really soon. And on your first day, you're like, where am I? It can be hard when you know there's somewhere you're supposed to be, but you don't have the ability to get there on your own. And so you're just wandering around trying to find your way. Jesus said this, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And what God often does is disrupt our misdirection and redirects us in His grace. He also says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to. Jesus came to transform the world. I remember hearing a story about a young girl who grew up in Traverse City, Michigan. Cold town, not a lot happening there, tough place. And she came from like, parents who were a little too conservative. These were, you cannot have Snapchat or TikTok on your phone parents. She had filters and everything was sort of locked in. And her parents struggled to communicate with her a little bit. They just had something like a bit of a generation gap. And so this seed of bitterness began to grow in her heart. And uh, incident by incident, a deep sense of resentment began to build towards her father. 
And one day she had an incident with someone at school and her parents said, you're grounded, that's it. You're not going out this summer, it's over. And something in her heart just said, I am sick of this. I'm sick of your rules. I'm sick of your restriction. I'm sick of what it is that you're trying to do to control me. And something happened in her heart. She says, you know what I'm going to do to get them back? I'm going to run away. Now, if you live in Michigan, you know where you run away? You run away to Florida where it's warm. And if you've lived through a, a cold Michigan winter, and she's thought, if I run away, I bet my parents would never search for me if I went somewhere else like this. And so she said, you know what? I'm heading to Detroit. So she saved the stuff up, went down to a Greyhound station, and said, let me get a bus and just took it. And she, she's like, I'm going to be free from their yoke. I'm going to be free from their judgment. I'm going to be free from their restrictions. So with a little bit of money she has, she heads into Detroit, living her dream. And when she gets out of the bus station, at first she's like, oh my gosh, I've never felt so free. It's never felt so good to be away from their restrictions. But then she began to run out of money. And then one day a man comes up to her and says to her, hey, you doing okay? You all right? And she says, I'm good. And this man just begins to work on her and work on her. And eventually she starts to fall for him. And so she meets this guy. She moves in with this guy. And uh, things are going okay for a little bit. Then he introduces her to drugs. And she's like, oh, I'm not doing that. And he's like, yeah, take it easy. So little bit by little bit, she gets into harder and into harder and into harder drugs. And then he says to her, hey, you're costing me too much. You're going to have to start paying for these drugs. She says, well, I don't think I can get a job. And he says, oh, I've got a job for you. Slowly but surely, he begins to traffic her. And her life becomes a life and cycle of horrific addiction, followed by horrific exploitation. And at one point, she is so abused by drugs, loses so much of the power of her life, that she just begins to sort of fade. And then when he realizes he can't get anything out of her, he just kicks her out. And so now this girl who's grown up in a sweet home with strict parents finds herself living on the street, doing anything she could do to try and deal with the pain of her life. And as it began to approach Christmas time, she said, you know what, I don't know if I can make this work. She said, I think I need to reinvent my life. And so she said, you know what, maybe there's a chance for me to go home and maybe there's a chance my parents will take me back. And so she gets some money together and makes a phone call and calls her parents. And she calls her parents. She hangs up before they respond. She said, they're not even going to recognize me. Looks at herself in a window. I don't even recognize me. Look at all I've done. Look at what I've become. I'm the thing they preached and warned me against. And she says, what else am I going to do? So she calls again, but this time she gets an answering machine. And she says this, mom and dad, hey, it's me. It's your daughter. And I'm so sorry. I've made a mess of my life. I'm going to go up to Canada and try and reinvent my life. But I'm going to be at a Greyhound station before I head up, just moments before I go to Canada. And if there's just any way you wanted to see me, if there's any way that you wanted to take me back, would you just come and say hello? She gets on the bus, and as she's driving back, she starts just feeling this sense of dread. Oh, the shame. Oh, the things I've done. Oh, the distance I've fallen. And as the bus finally pulls into Traverse City and she gets out, she starts thinking... I bet they're not here. So she says, let me just walk in and use the restroom and then I'll head out. And then she walks into the Greyhound station 
And all of a sudden, she sort of freaks out for a minute. Because when she looks up, there's a huge sign across the top of the grain house station that's been stretched out. And it says her name on it. And it says, welcome home. And she says, oh, that's, that's nice. Someone must be coming home. And then she drops her eyes and she realizes that there are her parents with little party hats on and little kazoos. And there's her cousin and they're all of her friends. And they come running towards her and they embrace her and they say to her, welcome home, you are wanted here. And she can't believe this moment because she thought that everything she had done would radically disqualify her. But here she is experiencing the mercy of her God. And I simply want to say to you today that to come home to Jesus is to experience a disruption of your shame, not an extension of your shame. To come home to Jesus is to experience his life and his joy and his freedom. Brennan Manning says this, By entering human history, God has demolished all previous misconceptions of who God is and what man is supposed to be. We are suddenly presented with a God who suffers crucifixion. This is not a God of the philosophers who speaks with cool detachment about the supreme being. A supreme being would never allow spit on his face. Jesus Christ has irreparably changed the world. And when preached purely, his word exalts, frightens, shocks, and forces us to reassess our whole life. The gospel breaks our train of thought, shatters our comfortable piety, and cracks open our capsule truths. The flashing spirit of Jesus Christ breaks new paths everywhere. His sentences stand like quivering swords of flame because he did not come to bring peace but to bring a revolution. The gospel is not a children's fairy tale but rather a cutting edge, rolling thunder, convulsive earthquake in the world of the human spirit. So you are in a season of disruption but this is a good one. God disrupted sin in the garden. He disrupted oppression at the exodus. He disrupted how people viewed covenants with the children of Israel. And God disrupts brokenness through the life of Jesus. Jesus disrupted false religion. And Jesus dis- wants to disrupt your shame with grace. So if you are here today and you feel like you don't fit, you're here today and you feel like you've made mistakes that are going to disqualify you from what it is that God wants to do, if you're here today and you're not right with God, I want you to know if you come to Jesus You're not going to experience judgment. You're going to experience a sign over this room that's saying to you, welcome home. All of this is for you. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence and uh, we just say thank you for your disruptive grace and your disruptive love. We just want to open our hearts to you. And Father, I just want to pray right now in the name of Jesus. If there's anybody here that needs your mercy, if there's anybody here that needs your grace, there's anybody here that needs that divine disruption, I just want to ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring it. So if you need that mercy today, if you need that grace, if you sense Christ himself coming for you, why don't you receive that love? Let's stand together.